Fun fact. Colorado has the second highest voter participation rate in the nation. It also has universal paper ballots and post-election audits, bipartisan teams of election judges, and lots of different ways to vote. All of that adds up to what most experts call the gold standard of elections. But that hasn't stopped lots of people from having lots of doubts. I can't honestly say that before I had this job, I could have defended the system. I think that people just think that they, people collect ballots and then they go through them and it's not really like that. It's so much more secure. And when you talk to the people who work in Colorado's election system, what stands out is how proud they are of it. Yeah, I, what makes me feel best about it is that the whole process is bipartisan, and it's all people who care about voting, regardless of your party. And everybody who's here, from the people who collect the votes like us, the staffers who manage the warehouse, to the people behind us opening the ballots, they're all about getting the votes processed. Two years after the denials and falsehoods that followed the 2020 presidential election, Colorado and the country are facing an unprecedented number of challenges to the election system. And right on the front lines are the local officials who work to combat disinformation and build back trust in the security and reliability of the process. I literally had one watcher get on their knees and follow my wires just so that I could prove to them that it is a closed network, that it is air gap, that it's not connected to the internet. So with ballots already sent out across Colorado, early voting underway, how does voting really work behind the scenes in Colorado? And what are the pressures weighing on the system this year? This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics, policy, and for this season, the 2022 elections. I'm Caitlin Kim. And I'm Benta Berkland. And I want to introduce a special guest joining us this week to talk everything elections, our colleague Matt Bloom. Hey there. Thanks so much for joining us. And Matt, you have spent the last, what is it, four months, I think? Yes. <laughs> yes four months, four a months. quarter of the year, learning everything you could about how voting works in Colorado, how these ballots are counted, and how they're secured. Yeah, my goal there was to gather as many questions from people as I could about the system and try to get them some answers. And I can say without a doubt that I don't think I've ever spent as much time as I have the past four months looking at paper ballots. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Not what you anticipated probably, but the results of all this hard work that you've put into it is a documentary that people can find on a different CPR podcast series called Colorado In-Depth. And we're going to talk a bit on this episode, too, about what you found, Matt. But I do want to stop us before we go any further, because there is something else special about this episode. Matt, I don't want you to feel additional pressure, but this is our 100th episode of Purplish. Yay. Yes. 100 episodes. Since this is our 100th episode, I feel like we should have some type of celebration. Woo! Yay! I'm, no. Purple drinks on me! <laughs> I can't say how honored I am to be here and a little bit nervous. If you're a Colorado voter, the odds are good. You've already received your ballot. And in this episode, we're going to walk through what happens to that ballot once you've filled it out and it enters the counting system. We're also going to look at some of the disinformation and conspiracy theories swirling out there about the system and why they're just not true. 
and we'll talk about what clerks are trying to do to amp up transparency and reassure skeptics. And finally, we'll get to how this entire issue of election security and integrity is playing out in some of the state's biggest races this cycle. So you guys ready for all that? Let's let's do it. Matt, I wanted to start with the woman who anchored your documentary, Haley Livermore. She's representative, I think, of the relationship a lot of voters have with the election system. You're totally right. She has voted in every election since she turned 18, and she trusts that her vote is counted and that everything is done fairly behind the scenes. But she admitted to me that she really didn't understand how the process works. And I guess it would be good to know, (laughs) like, a certain form of voting is more secure or less secure. How do we know that the ballots are safe? And an important thing to know about Haley is she has parents who, after the 2020 elections, started repeating these accusations that they heard being thrown around in conservative media that the election system here in Colorado can't be trusted. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. And even though she didn't share those doubts with them, they made her want to understand things better. Just for, you know, especially because that information would be good to be able to tell people like my parents who are now concerned about it a little bit to be able to say, like, well, here's the process and, and here's how they can know that we're getting votes from people who are eligible and not from people who are dead or a dog or whoever. Yeah, we hear those concerns from a lot of folks and a lot of your reporting really does answer that question. How does the system make sure that only eligible people are voting? And apparently not dead people or dogs. So as we're walking through the process, let's talk a little bit about some of the things we hear most frequently when people raise doubts about elections. The steps where if you don't really know how things work, voters might worry that it's vulnerable to fraud. That's right. So the first big thing overarching is that every step that involves handling the ballot is done by a team of bipartisan election judges. So a Republican and a Democrat are there when they open the envelope and get that ballot into the system. The thinking there, I believe, is that each one keeps the other honest. You can't say that Democrats are stealing votes or that Republicans are stuffing ballot boxes if there is always someone from the other party watching each other. And frankly, both are responsible for handling the ballots. Yeah. And one of the heartening things was talking to some of these judges about how much they liked working in these bipartisan teams. Mm -hmm. They were often quite friendly with each other. There were jokes being thrown around very collegial, and it helped some of them realize how secure this whole process is. No one's left alone with the ballots. Right. This next critical step in the process that that we hear a lot of concerns about are these ballot draw boxes, and they're located throughout the state. You can just put your ballot in there. I imagine many listeners use these drop boxes because Colorado has hundreds of them, and it is how the majority of voters return their ballots. There are people in conservative circles and in media in particular who've started urging voters not to use the drop boxes, claiming they're not secure. Colorado law is super strict about security around these boxes. They have to be kept under 24-hour video surveillance. Mm -hmm. There's even a law about good lighting. So anyone reviewing these videos can see everything clearly at all hours. can't be at the end of a dark alleyway where no one can see it. (laughs) Exactly. Or, you know, hiding behind some wall or something. The only time they're emptied is with that bipartisan team of election workers who also fill out something called a chain of custody log. That's a document that both the Republican and Democrat election worker have to sign when they retrieve ballots. 
let's turn to another area where voters and politicians who doubt the credibility of elections in Colorado have also raised significant concerns. I think it may be one of the key, if not the key sticking point, and it centers around fears of this certain step in the process when the ballots are scanned and then also counted. These are the machines that actually analyze the marks on your ballot and determine whether you filled in the bubble, say, for Michael Bennett or Joe O'Day or someone else. And then they count up how many people actually voted for each of them. It's kind of like those bubble standardized tests that we we all had to take. Right. And I think we've all probably heard this. People are worried that because these machines rely on software, there could be a way to tamper with these votes from what you have on the paper ballot to what's counted. I don't know how frequently you heard this idea that these machines are somehow secretly connected to the Internet and manipulated that way. And of course, that's a false conspiracy theory, and it's certainly spread far and wide. Absolutely. I heard that as a concern many, many times. And what you realize when you start asking election workers and county clerks about this is that there are all sorts of checks in place, both before the election and after the election, to make sure that the count on these machines comes up exactly with what's on the ballots. We test every piece of equipment that we might be using in the election. That's the Eagle County clerk, Regina O'Brien. She's a Democrat. The process she's describing is the same in every county. And it starts with running these sample ballots through the scanners. We make sure that the system count matches the hand count. And if it doesn't match, you need to resolve it or you don't use that equipment. Um, So it matches 100%. And then we zero out those results and you don't touch the system until you're actually tabulating live ballots. After the election, counties go back and check again. So they compare the choices on actual paper ballots to what the machines said those choices were. And with again, with a bipartisan board, verify that how the system tabulated those randomly selected paper ballots matches what is on the physical piece of paper. And we've done this in Colorado for years, this pre-election testing, the post-election auditing, where we're making sure that the system is tabulating properly. As an aside, and I think this is kind of interesting, in the off-year election, so 2021, some counties actually ran their ballots after the election on a competitor's machine. So not the main machines the county was using, but just another way to check that those machines were accurate. So I actually got to sit in on one of the audits, and it was funny because there was one ballot that didn't match that they found. But when they pulled it out to look at it, guys, this ballot was crazy. It was a mess. The person had crossed out one candidate's name and then they drew an arrow from a filled out bubble with another X on it to another candidate in a different race. Super confusing. And it was clear to see that the problem wasn't that the machine was corrupt. It was that it was sort of a guess exactly what the voter had even meant. Mm. So I guess this seems like a good time to remind people that if you do mess up your ballot, Do not try and get creative (laughs) as a way to try to fix it. Just throw the ballot out and go vote in person. Colorado does allow you to do that. Matt, anyway, let's talk about another part of the system where people often have concerns, which is making sure that the ballot that is counted was actually filled out by the voter it was sent to. Yeah. So this is called the signature verification process. And in my opinion, one of the most mind numbing. (laughs) You wouldn't sign up to do that, huh? No. It's just a bunch of people staring at computer screens, looking at the signature on the outside of each ballot envelope and comparing it to a signature on a 
file for that voter. Super important. The step is also done in bipartisan teams. So there's a Republican and a Democrat looking at each signature and comparing it to ones that you have on state file, all to look for potential fraud. And am I right, Matt, that these are the signatures at the DMV or just other things you've signed over the years that are going to be on file? Yes. And they are able to look at a range of signatures over time. So if your signature has changed, like a lot of people's does, Mm -hmm. then they can look at different samples over time to help confirm it. Okay. And it's interesting to point out that about 1% of signatures are disputed. And in those cases, they go to another level, another team of bipartisan election judges to look into it. So then if this additional team can't figure out the signature, they think it doesn't match, then the state sends postcards, text messages, urging that voter to fix the situation, right? They can prove that they were the person who signed this envelope. Absolutely. And if you don't respond, your vote's not going to get counted. So you definitely want to pay attention to that. So it's funny that we're talking about this right now because (laughs) I just found out that I had one of my signatures thrown out on a ballot Mm. in my home state. I just found out about that in 2020 and it was like from 2008 or 2004. (laughs) Hopefully Colorado would notify voters sooner, right? Absolutely. So Matt, I'm just curious, after all the time you spent just sort of steeping yourself and how the process works behind the scenes... What's your big takeaway? What really sticks out in your mind about the entire process? I really keep thinking about all the election workers that I got to meet. A lot of them had similar stories of knowing nothing about how elections work. Maybe they heard a conspiracy theory or a family member started raising some doubts, but they took action. They got the job. They wanted to see for themselves what goes into counting ballots. And it was very reassuring to everyone that I talked to to actually see the paper trail and the checks and balances that we have here in Colorado. And as a voter, that was really reassuring to me as well. Okay. We've gone over the many checks and balances in place to make sure Colorado's elections are accurate and secure. But as you've both said, this hasn't stopped lots and lots and lots of conspiracy theories from spreading. And Benta, this is an area where you've done a lot of reporting. Yeah, I've talked to plenty of clerks recently to hear what they're encountering this particular year. And it's a lot, in part because some of the major figures in this national election denial world are based here in Colorado. For some crazy reason, we've also exported some of the most notorious election deniers that started here, that started their garbage here, and it spread across the country. That's Matt Crane. He's a Republican. He's a former county clerk. He now heads the Colorado County Clerks Association. And he really doesn't pull his punches when he's talking about this. No, he doesn't. I watched him testify in front of a Senate committee back in August about threats against election workers and the attacks on our election systems. And there, like here, he's talking about people like Tina Peters, the Republican clerk in Mesa County, who you've covered a lot. Yes, I mean, she's facing criminal charges for allegedly tampering with her county's voting machines. And she says it was her effort to try to uncover fraud. But there are other people in this movement based in Colorado. There's a far-right podcaster who was the first person to claim that Dominion voting systems stole the election through its machines. Worth pointing out, Dominion Voting Systems is headquartered in Denver. Mm -hmm. Then there's the U.S. Election Integrity Plan. It's a canvassing door-to-door effort of citizens trying to audit the election to prove voter fraud. We're in this situation right now for two reasons. 
One, because of a lie of a stolen election, which absolutely is a lie. The second and probably as big a reason is a failure of leadership for people who know the truth to stand up and speak the truth. That's why Crane says it's even more important than ever before for clerks across the political spectrum who are on the forefront of running elections to be open and transparent. He says clerks in Colorado and across the nation have harder jobs right now because they're being inundated with open records requests and hostile questions and also facing personal threats. I just want to butt in here and say that doing reporting at any of these facilities is a huge slog. You have to ask for permission to enter in advance. You have to get buzzed in through a locked door. You have to sign a visitor log. And once you get inside, there are even more doors you have to get buzzed in through. It is just a ton of layers to get into these places. So you can tell that they have their guard up. Right. It does sound like a fortress of some kind. Yes, for sure. (laughs) And, you know, there have been stories from around the country that election conspiracy theorists have been trying to get jobs as poll watchers and election judges. Are you seeing that here? Yeah, I think it's happening in Colorado, or it certainly was in the primaries, especially with poll watchers. The Republican county clerk in Weld County said every one of her Republican poll watchers for the primary in June had ties to election conspiracy groups. But she actually said that it was a good thing. You know, she's pretty upbeat about it. So I took full advantage of it, to be honest. I was like, thank you for giving me these people so that I can show them what actually happens and show them. I mean, I literally had one watcher get on their knees and follow my wires just so that I could prove to them that it is a closed network, that it is air gap, that it's not connected to the Internet. So I asked clerks what kind of conspiracies or theories they're hearing right now for this election and what they're trying to be prepared for. And one that's apparently making the rounds right now that they said is new is urging voters to intentionally make a mistake when filling out their ballot. So that's Maybe you make a mistake, put an initial. You know, Matt was talking. I don't know if you should do the arrows, but the idea is make a mistake. Man, that sounds exactly like the ballot that I saw. But why would you intentionally do that to your ballot? So this goes back to the fear that the ballot scanners and these tabulators are corrupt and somehow manipulated by the Internet. So this idea, which is false, is that if you make a mistake on your ballot, it would somehow trigger this particular ballot being hand counted. But for anyone attempting to do that or thinks about doing that, the Eagle County clerk, Regina O'Brien, says it will not be counted by hand. If a ballot is mismarked, it will go to adjudication on the same uh, tabulation systems that we use. And when it goes to the adjudication station, a bipartisan team of election judges looks at the ballot image to determine voter intent. And if it's clear to the judges what the voter's intent was, they will cast a vote for that candidate or that that measure. Okay, so just to be crystal clear, it still goes through the machine. You're just making additional work for the election judges. Yes, I I think that's safe to say, yes. And then another conspiracy circulating, and it's sort of related to this, it's people telling each other to put some kind of identifying mark on their ballot a symbol, a star, like something that you'd want to put on the ballot. A smiley face. Happy face, smiley face, something. (laughs) So if their county posts the ballot image online, which several counties already do to be transparent, 
this individual could go look online and see how their ballot was counted and kind of make sure it was counted the way they wanted it to. But I thought the whole entire thing about elections here in the United States is that we're supposed to have a secret ballot. So what you're saying is people are doing something that would make their ballot identifiable, at least to them and maybe some of their friends. (laughs) Right, potentially. But even if someone did try to do that, it wouldn't work because the clerk's offices would redact any identifying marks before posting an image of a ballot. Benta, it sounds like both of those conspiracy theories come from people who don't actually understand how ballots are counted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that is right. And then one other conspiracy that's been circulating for a while, so this is not new, and I think a lot of people maybe have heard this, is a push to get voters to vote in person on Election Day. Also later in the day, too. But why would they want to do that? From watching the system behind the scenes, it seems like having an overwhelming flood of last-minute ballots would just really slow things down. First off, I would say a lot of people do vote on Election Day, so there's nothing wrong with that. And I have to admit, I am someone who drops off my ballot on Election Day. I guess I'm a procrastinator. (laughs) Also, I like to get all the mailers just for my job. I like to see all the mailers that are coming in. But Election Day is probably the largest volume day. People could be on the fence. They're looking at their ballot. We have a lot of ballot initiatives, and we usually do as a state. Some people feel nostalgia, and they just like to vote on Election Day. You know, I actually spoke with one voter up in Greeley. He's a black man, and he says he's going to go in person on Election Day because his ancestors fought for the right to vote, and he wants to go in person to represent. But this conspiracy, Benta, isn't about any of those reasons, correct? So, no, this theory is not based on that. According to Matt Crane from the Clerks Association, It's based on this false idea that if your ballot is turned in late, there's less time for some bad actor to tamper with your ballot. And so he said what he's heard in conservative circles is this idea that if Republicans turn their ballots in early, the people running elections will somehow, quote, know how much to stuff the ballot boxes to thwart that turnout and in essence ensure that Democrats win. Which, of course, from everything I watched in my visits to election offices with the bipartisan teams at each step, I mean, it's just not at all based in the reality of how our elections work. And I think one thing about that is I hear from clerks that they really want to try to make this information available to people across the state. And they're trying to take these extra steps to counter misinformation and just be as transparent as possible. I was actually really surprised to see how much they're doing. Uh Some counties are starting to live stream video of every process on Facebook. It's a little boring to watch because it's just paper ballots moving across the (laughs) table for nine hours. But many managers think this is a good way to catch people on Facebook um, who might want to watch from home. They're also offering more guided tours of their facilities ahead of elections and after elections to let people come in, look behind the curtain and ask simple questions about the process. And then there's a human there to answer them. (laughs) And the main thinking there is that hopefully they can just humanize this whole process for people who may only be getting their information about elections from a sensational news story or like a social media post from their uncle. We've talked about how voting works and hopefully shed some light on key questions and conspiracies that are circulating right now. But before we end this episode, I do think we should briefly touch on how this issue has played out in political races in Colorado this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so fascinating that unlike a lot of other states, 
the Republicans in Colorado that believed and really promoted these false claims of a stolen election didn't win their primaries. Thank the Mesa County clerk, Tina Peters. She lost her primary for secretary of state. Ron Hanks, the state lawmaker who was at the rally at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, he lost his U.S. Senate primary. Right, but it's not totally absent, though. In Congressional District 7, there are recordings that have been circulated of the Republican candidate, Eric Odlin, saying the current government is illegitimate. And when I asked him about this over the summer, he wouldn't say whether he believes the 2020 election was rigged or not. He just kept saying, we need to look forward. Yeah, I feel like we hear that a lot from certain Republican candidates, the people who maybe have cast out on elections or maybe they haven't, but they kind of want to sidestep the whole issue. They don't want to say one way or another. And so they will say, let's just move forward. Let's just move forward. Exactly. Heidi Ganahl, who's running for governor, say Biden is the president, but she won't say whether he's the legitimate president. Right. And Odlin has said that Biden is the president. And that was at the recent Nine News debate in that race, where he also said he has, quote unquote, nuanced his perspective since those earlier comments. And then, of course, you have two of our current Republican members of Congress, Lauren Boebert and Doug Lamborn who joined objections to and voted against certifying the 2020 election results of certain states, even after a Trump-supporting mob attacked the Capitol. Not everyone in the Republican delegation, though, is is on board with that. Congressman Ken Buck, he's always defended Colorado's elections. He's done informational calls with Republican voters to go through the process and say it's secure, although he has not said whether he believes other state systems are secure. Mm -hmm. And then I also want to point out Barbara Kirkmeyer, the Republican running in Colorado's new 8th congressional district. She's been very vocal that Biden is the legitimate president. She does not believe voting machines are connected to the Internet, and she does think the presidential election was fair and secure. Right. And we've been talking about all these Republicans, I think, just for even sake, the Democrats all have said they support and they think that our election system is secure. So I will say, though, talking to voters, some Coloradans brought up this idea of wanting to protect democracy and voting against election deniers when I spoke with them about the issues that are important to them. But this was never the number one issue. And Mm -hmm. I think that tracks with a poll the New York Times did recently that found that while voters overwhelmingly believe American democracy is under threat, that's not what's driving them at the polls. And very few people call it the nation's most pressing problem. That doesn't surprise me when you've got the economy and high prices and cost of living Mm -hmm. and We just looked at studies on learning loss during the pandemic for school children. There's just so many issues that are impacting people that voters have to grapple with that in addition to this election denial movement. And I think it's worth pointing out that even though it might not be people's top issue when they fill out their ballot, when it does come up for a lot of families like Haley's, when I interviewed her and we eventually brought her parents into the story too to let them have a conversation It was clear that they still had a really tough time talking about this whole process. So it definitely has an impact on families still, and it's on people's minds. One thing I did want to touch on is that this whole election fraud denial movement has in some ways thwarted legitimate discussions and concerns about our existing election system and the processes and how they could be improved and policy discussions. Because if someone brings up a concern or or something they don't like in the system, automatically people just close their minds to it, like, oh, you're an election denier. But there are still legitimate questions for any processes that exist. And, of course, any system can be improved. 
I think that's very true. Matt, I know you've been really sort of studying the system. I'm sure you saw things that you were like, yeah, they can like tweak that or fix that. Oh, 100%. I got to talk with a county clerk who one of the first things she did when she got into office was hold a community meeting. And it was in a diverse neighborhood. People were really angry because they didn't have a ballot box in their neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. because of that, they mistrusted the system because it wasn't accessible to them. And I think that's just to your point, Benta, concerns like that get crowded out by some of the louder voices we hear denying elections. And there's a lot of policy nuances around voter rolls and how people register and where they register. So we'll be covering those policy discussions definitely as they come up at the state legislature. But I wanted to end on a little bit of a positive note for this episode. We've talked so much about people not trusting elections. What I've heard from clerks and election workers is that one of the best ways to counter that, which we've mentioned clerks are doing this, inviting people to get involved with the process. The Weld County clerk I mentioned earlier, the one who said all of her Republican poll watchers were election conspiracy theorists. So she said when they first came in in the primary, people sometimes were hostile and aggressive and they had their list of questions and they were trying to uncover stuff. Then we had a statewide recount, if you guys remember, for the Mm -hmm. Secretary of State's race. So these poll watchers came back. She said a lot of them just had a different tone and a different approach. A couple of the individuals actually talked to her personally, and they apologized for how they treated her. And they had said that they came in with a closed mind and with certain assumptions. And she accepted their apology, and she thinks that that was a really positive experience. I heard from a lot of Republican election workers that had a similar experience, too. Right. And I feel like this is the theme that the both of you have been talking about, that once people actually learn all the checks and balances in the system and how it actually how voting actually works behind the scenes, they are much, much, much more comfortable with it. So this leads to the next question, then. Is it actually hard to get involved as a poll watcher or an election judge? Not necessarily. So election judges are hired by the counties. Counties get a list of names from the state parties. And then poll watchers are nominated by local parties. So if you're a registered Republican or Democrat, you could probably just reach out to your county chair and tell them you're interested. And if you're unaffiliated, which we know a lot of people are in Colorado. The majority you, of people <laughs> in Colorado are. You can sign up, too, and they will uh, gladly take your application. You're going to have to pass a background check, go through training. In a lot of places by now, this close to Election Day, those positions are filled up. But in general, the clerk's offices always need people to help. And before we go... I just want to say it's a great documentary if you want to go listen to Matt's reporting, Colorado In-Depth. It's entertaining and it's extremely detailed. It paid off to look at all that paper, Matt. Um, (laughs) And it takes you through how elections work and you've got some family drama thrown in along the way. And I know that a lot of families are grappling with different dynamics when it comes to politics. And this is one of those issues that comes up. Thank you so much for having me, and congrats again on your 100th episode. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org, where you can also check out our voter guide. I'm Caitlin Kim with my colleagues Benta Berklin and Matt Bloom. This episode was edited by Megan Verlee and produced by Shane Rumsey. Thank you for listening. This is Purplish from CPR News. So, guys, 
Do you want to know which state beats Colorado for top voter participation in the nation? Ooh, I yes. already know the answer to this. <laughs> I know you do. Yes. I, I am unaware. I, I would like to know. It's my home state, the, the great northern state. It's Minnesota. So, oh. yeah. I don't know how close we are to them, but maybe this can be the year that we surpass Minnesota. No, we, we always come in second. This is a bone of contention <laughs> for Senator Michael Bennett, who constantly bets Senator Amy Klobuchar about this. So, Benta, a reason Michael Bennett might not like you now. <laughs> he doesn't like Minnesotans now. No, no. I'm sure I'm... he loves Minnesotans. He just wants to beat Minnesotans. He wants Colorado to beat Minnesotans. 